All right. I have a little business update. This is a really important week in the life of our church, and so I wanted to just pause and focus on this. We do this thing every year we call Backyard Bible Clubs Impact. Um, You should see cards out in the hallway. There will be more announcements about this later. We've got some cards where you can invite friends to this. Uh, But what we do is we have teenagers that lead the way. They're trained to share the gospel with kids uh, in our neighborhoods, at splash pads, at public parks and different places. And what we're going to do is all week long, we're going to be sharing the gospel through these public Bible clubs, summer Bible clubs. Um, And so we want to just pause and, number one, thank the kids for all the training and hard work they've put into that. Um, And then we want to pray for everybody that's involved. So this is a big deal this week. Um, So you can get, again, more information about this. You can get handouts and stuff to invite your friends to it. There are all different clubs throughout the city that are going to be happening this week. And then we're going to end the week Friday night with a little family carnival here with some bounce houses and snow cones and hot dogs. You can invite friends to that as well, even if you can't come to the clubs during the week. Uh, So just kind of have that in your mind. Be praying about it this week. First of all, I want to recognize those that are involved. If, If you're helping to lead the clubs, you're helping to drive or provide meals or helping with any of the training, can you stand up? And we want to thank you for your involvement. Please stand. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, We're so thankful for you. Um, And just to give you more exercise, I'm going to have you stand again, and we're going to pray for you. Okay? Um, So go ahead and stand back up. And I want to just say a prayer for you guys and for everybody else that will be involved this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for those that are involved. I thank you especially for these teenagers who have given so much of their time Uh, to learning your word and learning how to lead younger kids and learning how to share this good news that we have. Um, I thank you for the adults that are coming alongside them and helping them to execute these clubs, to be hospitable, to drive, to um, bring meals. Um, Father, we pray uh, that as we share your word, that your spirit would meet the proclaiming of the gospel and and activate that in the hearts of this community, that, that you would be honored, that your fame would spread as people see your goodness through the gospel. We praise you that you woke up our hearts. We praise you that we've seen the love of Jesus in our own lives, and we just pray that you'd help us to to share it well this week. We've done a lot of work. We've done a lot of preparation, uh, but we need you, Father. So help us uh, to share you, and we pray that you would be loved and adored this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for all your hard work. Um, We're now going to spend some time in the Scripture. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Um, We're calling this series The Last Words of Jesus as we zero in on this last week of his life. So he has some final words, prayers, sermons, encouragements that he's giving to the disciples here. Um, Last week we started John 14. We're going to finish John 14 this week. So We'll be in verses 15 through 31, basically the second half of John 14. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one of the black Bibles under the chairs, and we'll be close to page 900 in those black Bibles. We'd love for everybody to follow along. Just something we do every week here is we open up the Bible and spend time studying it, trying to listen to God from the Scriptures. We believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. And so even if you're not used to studying the Bible, we want to kind of start training you in that habit, having you open it up, look at it, examine what the Word says. We're calling it this week the Father's Presence. And one of the complicated things about the Gospel of John is John just layers things on top, one on top of the other. So in this text, this text is at one level all about Jesus and Him preparing His disciples that He's going to leave them, right? At another level, it's all about the Holy Spirit, 
And he's saying, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be on your own. You're going to feel like you're on your own, but my Spirit's going to be with you. And then at another level, he's saying, and, and the Spirit is going to mediate my Father's presence with you. So we're going to know that our Heavenly Father is with us by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's what we're going to see in the text. And it's fitting that it's Father's Day. I didn't really plan this, but it lines up pretty well. We all need to be assured of our Heavenly Father's love. And I want you to know that as as I've been preparing this, I've been praying for you because I know Father's Day is hard for a lot of people. It's a hard day for me. I know for some of you it's hard just because of maybe difficult relationships you've had in the past. Um, Some of you it's hard because of really bad relationships. Some of you it's hard because maybe there's a really great relationship with your father, but your father's gone now. For, For whatever reason, it can be a struggle for a lot of us. Know that I'm praying for you and that we have this hope of a true heavenly father. Um, it helps us move past whatever we've gone through in our earthly life. It gives us some hope beyond what we've known here. Um, Jesus is preparing them for him, for he being gone. He being gone, is that how you say it? I'm all worried now about the grammar. My wife's on the front row. Preparing them that he is about to depart. That's a better way to say it. Okay. He's about to leave, right? They don't understand what this is going to look like. He's trying to get them ready for this. And it, it made me remember um, this absence thing, right? Like he's promising the Father's presence even though they're going to feel the absence. And when I was a little kid, I can remember one time getting lost at the mall when I was five years old. Went there with my family. I was like following my dad around the mall. We were shopping for who knows what. Um, And I'm the third child, so I think I, I got forgotten and lost a lot, you know. Um, but somehow I get lost. I'm separated from my family. I can just remember crying and crying and being so sad and not knowing what to do. And, you know, some random adult, a security guard or the Dillard's manager, somebody finds me. They intercom for my parents. Finally, I'm reunited. I'm back with my father, back with my mother again, and everything's okay. And just that feeling of that absence, that separation, is a lot of what Jesus is addressing in the text. He's, he's going away. He's going to be away from his disciples. In a similar way, we live by faith here and now, but we don't have Jesus right in front of us. So how do we know he's there for us? What do we do when we feel like he's gone or when we feel like we're all on our own? And that's, that's what he's addressing in this text. So let's read it. Uh, as I said, it'll be chapter 14, but we'll start in verse 15. So starting in verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the fathers who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let me pray for us. We believe that we need the Spirit even to help us to understand, to receive the Word. And so I'm going to pray that God would open our minds and our hearts to hear what He has for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You that uh, You've come to us in Jesus. You've proven Your love through the cross. Um, but we still feel that, that distance, Lord. We feel often alone. And so we pray that, that we would hear and understand and that Your Spirit would give us spiritual eyes to see Your presence with us, that You do love us, that we can trust you. God, you know the troubles we're going through. You know the trials that we're in the middle of right now. I don't know everything that's going on in this room, but Father, you do. And so I pray that your spirit would meet us here, that we would hear your word in just the way we need to hear it, and you'd open our eyes to your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So the big problem specifically is Jesus is about to leave, right? Um, and there's a, there's a kind of a wraparound, a bookend. At the beginning of chapter 14, we started with that last week. He said, don't be troubled. Trust God, trust also in me. Or believe God, believe also in me, right? So last week, it was trust through trouble. And I communicated to you that in the Greek, there's this ongoing activity in the present tense. So anytime you see something in the New Testament that's present tense, you can just automatically know, generally, it's just an ongoing thing. So when Jesus says, don't be troubled, what he's saying is don't stay troubled, Right? Because we know there's like not a sin in itself of trouble coming to us. This is a world of trouble. John 16, says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So in John 12, we're told that Jesus was greatly troubled. And in John 13, we're told that Jesus was greatly troubled. And then in John 14, he's like, hey, don't be troubled. What does he mean by that? He's saying, don't stay in the trouble. What do you do when the trouble comes? You, we give that back to Jesus. And so it appeared last week, the beginning of John 14, don't be troubled, don't stay troubled, don't keep living in the trouble. And then we see at the end here, he says as well, my peace I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And so the issue is the trouble, right? And the specific issue is Jesus is going away. And so this mirrors our lives, right? Of course, it's a little different with the disciples than with us. But in the same way, the disciples were going to not have him face to face anymore. We don't have Jesus standing here face to face with us. So what do we do with that? And here he's going to say, my, my spirit is going to mediate the Father's presence with you. And Jesus also, my presence. I'm calling it the Father's presence because it's Father's Day. Uh, but we're Trinitarian. We believe that there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he does mix all of this together throughout the Gospel of John, but especially here as well. So we're going to see the Spirit bring three things. Okay, so this is going to be my, my outline. The Spirit is a spirit of adoption, right? We know this spirit of adoption. I'm not all on my own, but I've been adopted by my Heavenly Father. And then we're going to see a spirit of obedience, to be a follower of Jesus is actually to be an obeyer, a spirit of obedience. And then finally, we're going to see that it's a spirit of peace. There's a supernatural peace we can know in the midst of the craziness and the junk we're living through right now, a supernatural peace. So we're looking at this idea of adoption, obedience, and peace. So first of all, we're going to look at this spirit of adoption, the spirit of adoption. So verse 15 is really more about the obedience stuff. He says in verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We're going to kind of bump that and come back to it in the next section, because he's going to come right back to that, and we're going to hit that really hard. 
So I want to kind of skip over that and go to verse 16. So look at verse 16. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Another word we'll pick up in the next section. What does the helper, some of your translations say, comforter, counselor. Um, there's a lot of different ways to translate this Greek word that's talking about the Holy Spirit. So we'll, we'll deal with that in the next section as well. So putting off a couple things to the next section. I want to zero in on the spirit of adoption. So he says, I'll give you another helper to be with you forever. That presence, you see that? He will be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, as the New Testament unfolds, there's clearly something more dramatic, more amazing by the Holy Spirit that's going to happen at Pentecost in the book of Acts. There's going to be this deeper, broader empowerment that's going to come upon the church. But there's this general consistency we see of, if you know God, you have the Spirit. And the cross-references go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1, where it says, if you believe the word of truth and the Holy Spirit seals you until the day of redemption. So you've got like this down payment, this seal. You've got the Spirit with you if you know Jesus, right? Um, so God, God can give us more. There can be more things that happen, right? There can be the Spirit manifesting itself in new ways in our life. But you have the Spirit if you know Jesus. That's just a basic foundational thing that he's reinforcing here. I'm giving you the spirit of truth. The world can't receive this, right? That, that's the mark of a follower. A follower has the spirit, and the people that aren't followers don't have the spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then here's where he gets real specific with the adoption thing. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Okay, that's kind of the, some of the confusing Trinitarian stuff. We're, we're in Christ. There's a sense where we have the Spirit. There's a sense really where we have the Father in Christ. We have Jesus living in our heart. You've heard that phrase before, right? But there's a sense in which it's the actual Spirit living in us, which is the person of the Trinity that, that does that indwelling for us, that that mediates the Father's presence, that mediates the Son's presence in our life. So we know we're not abandoned, right? Like God is with us because of the Holy Spirit living within us. And he calls it here this idea that it means we're not orphans. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What's the opposite of, of being an orphan? Being adopted, right? Having a father. And so that's what he's communicating here. And the New Testament picks this up pretty strongly and Romans chapter 8 and Galatians chapter 4. This idea that by the Holy Spirit we have this spirit of adoption as the language, spirit of sonship that's used in Romans 8 and Galatians 4. And so all of us know to some degree what it is to be on our own. Here he's saying you're going to feel like you're on your own. You're going to feel like you are, have been completely abandoned. You're going to feel like an orphan. Um, now in our terminology, orphan specifically means a child who's parents have died or whose parents have given them up, right? That for whatever reason doesn't have a parent. That's, that's what the word orphan means in our terminology. In the Greek, it's a little broader. It just kind of means on your own, right? Um, it can be specifically applied to what we call orphans. And so what I want to connect with you here is there are going to be times the disciples were warned, and I think we're warned as well, where you feel that way. You feel like you're all on your own and you've got a hard choice to make. Which direction are you going to go with that? And I think as human beings, we go a couple of non-gospel, non-Jesus directions with that feeling. We feel all, our, all on our own, 
Um, and I wrestled with this growing up, and, and what I did is my sinful reaction to that in pride is like, yeah, everybody's going to leave me, and I'll be fine. I'm going to make it work. Like, I'm going to be that hero that, that conquers. It doesn't matter. I don't need anybody, right? Have you gone, have you gone that direction in your heart? Like, you kind of say, I, I can handle it. Yeah, everybody's going to abandon me, but I can handle it anyway. That's the kind of prideful reaction to feeling all on your own. Like, yeah, I don't need anybody anyway. I can do this. There's another reaction in our hearts that sometimes happen. I'm all on my own, so what am I going to do? I'm just going to like curl up in a ball, right? <laughs> I'm just going to give up. I'm going to medicate. I'm going to numb myself because it hurts too bad to think about it, right? So that might be through um, drugs or alcohol or porn or whatever other thing, hobbies that we might get into. I'm just going to distract myself, right? So I don't have to deal with it. I'm a victim. I'm all on my own. I'm going to run off the rails into despair. My question for you is when you feel all on your own, do you run to despair or do you run to pride? I can make it work anyway. Or do you run to God? And this is what he's preparing the disciples for. He's saying, you're going to feel all on your own. In that moment, know that I haven't left you as orphans. So he's saying, I'm sending my spirit to help you to understand that, to know that that's true. I grabbed a picture here, street kids living on the street. We often feel like, man, we're on our own. And the times when we choose sin in our life, whether it be sins of pride or sins of despair and numbing and distraction, whatever sins we're choosing, what we're doing in those moments is we're saying, the Heavenly Father is not providing for me. So I've got to take care of myself. That's what sin is. And so I want you to see the flip side of that is as you understand that you are provided for, that you've been adopted, you're no longer living out on the street, that's what's going to give you the power to trust the Heavenly Father, to trust that He loves you through the gospel and to say no to sin. So Romans 8 talks about this way. Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So which is it for you? The spirit of slavery to fear, addiction to the patterns of the flesh, or is it this new spirit by which you cry, Abba, Father, I have a heavenly Father who loves me? And in context, in Romans 8, that's what actually empowers us to say no to sin. So that was Romans 8, 15. You back up a couple of verses. Uh, Romans 8, 12 says this. So brothers, we're debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, right? So we have a debt to pay, but our debt's not to our flesh, to satisfy our flesh. Our debt's not to our flesh anymore. We belong to Jesus now. We have a debt to Jesus, to trust him. The spirit of adoption, the spirit of new life and forgiveness Verse 13 in Romans 8 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is this ongoing work. When you entrust yourself to Jesus and the Spirit dwells within you, you're forgiven for your sin. What you're believing is that Jesus took your sins upon himself on the cross, and that he died, and that he now gives you his resurrection life. He rose from the dead. You're trusting in both his death and resurrection, so that God delights in you and loves you and is pleased with you. You are his child. And that's what takes place when you trust Jesus. But then there's this ongoing activity, right? This ongoing activity every day of saying, what, is it, what does it look like to, again, this morning, entrust myself to the Father's love, entrust myself to the spirit of adoption by which I cry out, Abba, Father. He says it's this ongoing recognition. Yeah, if I 
keep serving the flesh, that's, that's going to kill me. That's going to hurt me. I mean, that's becoming really countercultural and weird to even say today, right? Because we think um, that sin is just a choice we make. And generally, in our culture, we don't even believe in the concept of sin. But here he's saying that as we pursue those other means, as we say, I'm a street kid, I'm all on my own, I've got to choose my own way. I've got to do my own thing. That's actually killing us. That's hurting us. But as we entrust ourselves to the Father's care and say, no, the Father loves me. He's provided for my ultimate needs through Christ. I can trust him. I can do what he says. That's what changes our course. That's what enables us, as Romans 8 to describes, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So, so here's the thing. I just want you to think about um, what are the sins that are plaguing you? Like what are the things that keep grabbing hold of your heart? whether it be addictions, whether it be pride, whether it be ways of numbing yourself, what are those sins? And recognize, this, you know, sometimes there's a chemical component to that, yes, right? Get medical help if you need medical help, but there's this spiritual reality under the surface. There's this deeper issue going on of you saying, I can't trust my father to take care of me, so I need this. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying when I do these things. When I, when I choose sin, I'm saying I can't trust the father. He's not good, so I need this. He's not providing for me. I've got to provide for myself. So I just want you to be thinking about that. What are those issues in your life where these besetting sins are like grabbing on to us and not letting go and recognize, okay, there's, there's a connection there. I'm not trusting the Father in this area of my life. And as we start to, to knit that together, that's, that's where that power begins to loosen its grip on our hearts, where we begin to be able to act out what it's saying in Romans 8, right? And then we can know this reality of, man, I'm, I'm now putting to death those things that I don't need to be do, doing because they're killing me, I'm trusting the Father. Romans 8, 15, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into your fears, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How, how do we apply this? Well, I think what this looks like is this looks like us loving and leading others well. Um, one of the things we're all about here is we promote Foster Love Bell County. We promote Compassion International, we promote just good old-fashioned fathering, right? Like dads, show up, be a good dad, be involved in your kids' lives. I mentioned this earlier in the service, but Isaiah 54, 55, and 56 promises that in the new covenant, we will be a people who do spiritual mothering and spiritual fathering, where, where we recognize what we've received in Christ, and we then have something to give back to love and to serve others. So that, that's what it looks like in reality, right? It, it looks like us giving the way God has given to us. But I think what gets in the way are, are those sins where we're like, no, I don't, I don't have time to serve other people. I've got to serve me, right? I've got to take care of me because I can't really trust God to take care of me. But as we begin to trust him, that frees us up to actually serve others in love. And so this, this leads us to the next section. Um, the next section is the one, the spirit of obedience, where he starts to knit together that to be a follower of Jesus is to be one who obeys, right? And, and to be clear, this is not conditional. Verse 15 sounds a little bit conditional in the broader context, but you have to read the whole chapter as one chapter. If, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says in verse 15. And then he goes on, he starts talking about giving the spirit of adoption and all these things he gives to us. But to be clear, we don't love uh, and we don't obey in order to get God to love us. But we love and obey because he loves us. We're responding to his initiative, and that's clear throughout the Gospel of John. That's like a broader context that Jesus has laid out really well throughout this Gospel already. So 
We have a spirit of obedience. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And in verse 21, we can kind of skip down of the section we just covered down to verse 21. He says it this way. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Um, God used this verse specifically, but the Gospel of John as a whole in my life when I was a teenager, um, because um, when my family was younger, or when I was younger, we didn't go to church, right? But then in our teen years, started going to church, started hearing the Gospel preached week after week. And there would be this thing that would happen in the sermon where the Gospel would be explained, and I would be told, hey, all you have to do is, is receive that, right? Just believe that, pray this prayer, say, God save me, God forgive me, and he will do it, right? And that is absolutely true. But I started to realize, like, I, I'd just been saying that prayer to get God to save me, because frankly, I didn't want to go to hell, right? But I didn't love Jesus. Like, I didn't, I didn't love God at all. And it was through the Gospel of John being taught that I realized, oh, I'm not a Christian, Right? Like mouthing words over and over again doesn't make you a Christian. You have to actually trust him, right? Like saying the words is not enough. You actually actually mean them, right? Like I have to actually see that I need saving and he's good and he loves me. There has to be a heart change going on there. And that's what he's describing here. There's an actual heart change that takes place where you actually begin to trust God. And that's my question for you. Do you trust him? If you say you trust him, but you don't do anything he's called you to do, I think it's reasonable to call that into question. It's reasonable. Now, the other side of that is that, to be clear, like when you start following Jesus, when you trust him, you don't magically then obey everything, right? That's the other extreme. You don't magically do everything right, like a snap of a finger, and now you obey everything he says. It's this ongoing work. And we addressed that a little bit earlier in chapter 14 last week, where we talked about this is, this is what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives, Right? Uh, a lot of our brothers and sisters tend to focus on the Holy Spirit being the one that does the miraculous and flashy things in our lives. And I, I believe God can do whatever he wants, and the Spirit certainly does miraculous, amazing, flashy things. But the biggest miracle Jesus describes in John chapter 5, the greater works of God is resurrection from the dead. And so the big work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to awaken us to faith that Jesus loves us. So we would be transferred from the kingdom of death and darkness to the kingdom of light and love. That's the greatest work of the Holy Spirit. And then the ongoing application, the great work of that is changing us, us believing it more and more every day. So Galatians 5 describes this work of the Holy Spirit as the fruit of the Spirit. We begin to love and experience joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's the crazy miraculous stuff that takes place in Christians' lives. And that's what Jesus is describing here as obedience. The Spirit is miraculously changing us into people that trust God and want to do what he says. Do you see that? And Do you see how that's connected with love, right? If I love God, it's because I believe he loves me. And if I believe he loves me, I'm willing to do what he says. If I think he hates me and he's abandoned me, I don't want to do what he says, right? That makes no sense at all. And so that's what he's describing here. He's knitting together love and obedience here, the same thing in Jesus' theology and should be in ours as well. He goes on, I'll, I'll reread verse 21 again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That means show. He says, I'm gonna show myself to those who obey. 
There's this real common thing I hear a lot today of like, I just don't see God or I just don't hear God speaking to me. You might have said that. You might have thought that. It's not a terrible thing to say, but here he's saying the way you see God is as you obey him, as you're living out this miracle of, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going I'm to just step out in faith and do what you say because you love me, so I'm going to trust that you love me, and I'm going to do what you say. He's saying that's where he's manifested. He's, he shows up in those places as we love him, as we obey him. He's displayed in that way. Judas, not Iscariot, right? So there's naughty Judas, and then there's good Judas. So this is good Judas, okay? Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So they're still kind of confused, right? Like you're saying you're leaving, but you're not really leaving, but like you're gonna be with us, but you're not gonna be with us. They're, they're trying to make sense of this, right? So Judas is like, okay, specifically, you're gonna manifest, you're gonna show yourself to us, but you're not gonna show yourself to the world. He's trying to work that out, right? And, and we are as well. Like, so how, how do people see God? How are you gonna manifest? How are you gonna show yourself? Here's Jesus' answer. Verse 23, Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So the Helper, the Spirit, the Spirit's going to make this work, okay? He's like, I know you're confused, I know you don't fully get it, but the Spirit's going to make this work out for you. And he clarified that as we love him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, right? That's how. That's how God's going to be manifest. That's how people will see God. Think about this for just a second, guys. Um, people can't see God, right? God's invisible. How, does, how do people see God? It says here that people are going to see God, people are going to see Jesus through us as we do something supernatural, that, that's the miracle, right? God can heal people. God can do miraculous things. But this is the huge miracle. This is the crazy, amazing miracle right here. People coming to life in the Spirit. People recognizing that God is resurrecting me and forgiving me for my sins. And then I'm going to start walking with Him and I'm going to start loving you and loving others supernaturally. I have no good reason to love you, right? Well, some of you are nicer than others, right? But there's this supernatural miracle of transformation where we begin loving each other and loving God because of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's called obedience. That's what obedience is. It's not just some arbitrary list of rules that God has laid on us to ruin all our fun, but he really does love us. And the more we understand that, the more we believe that, the more we walk in that. And that's what he's describing here. This is how I will be seen. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be manifest. People are going to see God as they see us loving God one another. That's how the world is going to see God as, as we see God manifest in our lives of love and obedience. That's what he's promising us here. So this word helper shows up again. It's the Greek word paraclete. Um, and the, the Greek word para, we use para in a lot of our words. It means to come alongside, right? And clete is from uh, kaletos. It's like this like calling thing. So it's kind of like, literally it would be like coming alongside and, and calling, kind of coming alongside and helping, assisting so for me, the, the best visual image of this is, is like when a physical therapist is helping someone relearn to walk, right? Um, so they're saying, okay, you're going to walk, and here's some handles, but I want to put my arm around you. I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to help you do this. So that's why the translation helper is used here. 
Now in the first century, that same word could also mean advocate, right? Like a legal advocate. We have someone that comes alongside us and frees us legally. We see that use in the rest of the New Testament. John uses it later on in 1 John. We have an advocate in Christ. But here, I believe Jesus is talking about the like step-by-stepness of it, right? He's going to come alongside us and he's going to help you. You're not on your own. So last week, we saw the gospel uh, as he talked about being the way the truth and the life. We talked about the bridge illustration, a classic illustration of the gospel. There's this chasm between us and God. We can't get across it. Jesus is the bridge, right? Standard way of understanding Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We looked at that last week. Um, There's a great book that I've read called The Cure by John Lynch, and he uses this arm around you helping you imagery, I think, in a really helpful way. He says, typically, we think, here I am, and there's my sin, and it's keeping me from God, right? And the danger is for us to think, I've got to clean up my sin to get to God, right? And that's reasonable, but the gospel is, yeah, you can't do that. You failed again and again. Jesus came to you. He bridged the gap. He's the one that came down to earth. He's the stairway to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the road. He's the bridge. And so in this image, Lynch says, so now as we deal with the sin in our life, we should think about it this way. Jesus is with us. He came through our sin, and he's got his arm around you. And he's saying, okay, well, let's, let's work on this together. Let's work on this together. So obedience is not you obeying to get to Jesus. It's Jesus coming to you and say, okay, okay now let's do this. I'm going to help you. I've got my arm around you. So that's the language that Jesus is using here. He's like, you're not on your own. You're going to feel like you're on your own, but you're not. I'm with you. I'm going to send my spirit, the helper. The helper's going to be with you. He's going to have his arm around you. We're going to walk through this together. You have not been abandoned. So we have the spirit of obedience, of love. He's transforming us. I want you to see the way the Bible does this in other places as well, right? This is not just something I pulled out of my hat from this text, but there are a couple other places where you can see this pattern of God loves us, so then we obey, right? Because we keep trying to reverse this, and we keep thinking, well, if I obey enough, then God will love me, right? But he says, no, I love you, so obey. Ten commandments, Exodus chapter 20. We usually are more familiar with the actual commandments, right? Don't do this, don't do that. But there's a preamble. He says, I'm the God that loves you. I'm the God that saved you. I'm the one that rescued you, so now obey me. That's there, right? In the Ten Commandments, right? And Ten Commandments arguably are, are not very gracious, right? <laughs> we kind of classically think about it. That's law. There's no gospel there. Even in the Ten Commandments, I've saved you. I've rescued you. I love you. So now obey me. Another place this pattern shows up is in Ephesians. The entire book of Ephesians, it's six chapters, not a very long letter. Um, I think this is all over the Bible, but these are just some clearer places to see it. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, just, he just keeps hammering the blessings and the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. He loves us, he loves us, he loves us. And then chapter 4, 5, and 6, he's like, okay, so obey. So do what he says. So follow him because he loves you. It's a very clear pattern, but we flip it around. We keep flipping it around, and we think, I'll obey, and then he'll love me. No, it's he loves you. So, so trust him. Trust that he loves you. And that's what's going to transform how we see God, it's also going to transform then how we, dads, how we father. Or leaders, teachers, commanders, it's going to affect how you lead others. So I think we have to fight this two-front war when we're leading, when we're fathering, when we're managing, whatever it looks like. 
where one front of the war is, is just the boundaries of obedience. Like, this is good, this is bad. That's going to kill you. I don't want you to do that, right? Like, we got to hold to the line. we got to hold to issues of obedience. If you're a parent, that means there are going to be timeouts. There are going to be spankings where you're like, I can't let you do this. It's going to kill you. So I'm going to give you a lesser pain so you don't die, right? I'm going to train you to do the right thing. And that's what discipline is. But there's this other front we have to fight this war on. Not only do we just like not let people do bad things, but we have to fight for their heart. We have to continue to communicate in multiple ways. I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. I'm going to show grace to you because I love you. That's why I'm fighting to keep you from doing stupid things because I love you. So when you're a parent, don't allow yourself to be saying, man, if you do right, then daddy will be really happy and then I'll really love you, right? Don't go there. Slips out sometimes, right? I've been a parent. I've said stupid things like that. But you've got to guard yourself from that. Don't say, I'll love you if. Say, I love you no matter what. And I love you so much, I'm not going to let you do this stupid thing. That came out in our discipline when we'd be disciplining a child to be like, all right, we're, we're training you and I can train your body so you learn some decent habits, right? I can do that, but I'm going to pray for you that God would change your heart that you would want to do the right thing. So we're always fighting a two-front war. We're, we're trying to train ourselves not to do stupid things, right? Just the boundaries of discipline and obedience, but we're also trying to train our hearts to know we can trust God and that he's good. So next section, we see the spirit of peace. See this in verses 27 through 31. Verse 27, it's, it's really clear. He says in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So it's like, don't stay in the trouble. It's that ongoing trouble. Trouble's gonna come, but don't let your heart stay there. Don't let your hearts keep um, replaying that over and over again, but receive the peace, the supernatural peace that I give to you. Peace in the Bible is not just uh, ceasing from conflict, but it's broader than that. It's an Old Testament Hebrew idea of the way things are supposed to be, the webbing together of all of creation where like body, soul, heart, everything is right. It's that, ah, this, this is what life is supposed to be like. That's what peace means. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm giving you that peace. Not as the world gives. How does the world gives? The world gives conditionally, right? The world gives in the, if you obey, then I'll love you way. Jesus gives in the, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna give you peace. So trust me, follow me. So he says, peace I'm giving you. I'm leaving this with you. Not in the way the world does. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'll come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Now, this sounds a little peculiar if, if, you, if you know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all one God, right? The Trinitarian concept is it's one God and three persons, so all equally God, but there is a kind of subordination we see in the way the Son obeys the Father. So in that sense, this makes sense, but I, th I think there's something more going on here. As I've studied this, what I'm seeing is he's just talking existentially, right? Like just how you experience this. He's saying, I'm going to go be with the Father. And that's going to be awesome, <laughs> right? Like, I'm going to be in the presence of the Father. Why wouldn't you be happy for me? This is going to be so great. And so Jesus is going into that future of perfection that we're longing for, like Romans 8 talks about. We're aching and groaning and longing to be there. We're not there yet. He says, I'm giving you a down payment. I'm giving you a taste of that awesomeness now through the Spirit. So the Father's presence is really with us. But there's something even better we're looking forward to. And Jesus is like, you'd really be happy with me if you knew how awesome 
that's going to be. Like if you really trusted how good that's going to be to be with the Father, you'd be so happy for me because you love me, right? And that's what he's talking about here. He's like, that's, that's where I'm going. You heard me say I'm going away. I'll come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. The Father's greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Everything's going to fall apart, but trust that Jesus is on the throne and the Spirit is with you and you're headed to that place where it's going to be okay. That's what he's saying. I'm, I'm preparing you. They're being prepared for stuff they don't even fully understand yet, and he's preparing us in a parallel way. There are things we're going to go through that we can't even imagine right now. And we're going to have to cling to him by faith. So trust the peace that he gives. And he says, I'll no longer um, talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Uh, so in chapter 12, the ruler of this world, Satan entered into Judas, the bad Judas, He's going to betray Jesus. So he's talking about the ruler of this world coming like, it's going to happen. I'm going to be killed. But we know from the broader context of the New Testament uh, that Satan was tricked, right? That Jesus, through his death and resurrection, actually defeated Satan and evil. And so earlier on in John, there's this talk where Jesus says the ruler of this world is going to be cast down. Um, yet the, other, the rest of the verses in the New Testament talk about like the devil still is kind of there. So there's a sense in which through the death and resurrection of Jesus, Satan's power is over, but he's still going around trying to intimidate and bully us, right? So as James says, we can, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. And so Jesus is saying, this is going to happen. These bad things are coming, but he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so the world may know that I love the Father. He's the perfect son. When you're trusting Jesus, you're not just trusting that he died for your sins, which you are. You're also trusting that he was everything you should have been. He's like, I obey the Father. I, I love the Father. So when the Father looks at you, he sees you as his perfect son. He sees you as his child. So this sonship, this adoption that we have in Christ, it's a sonship for daughters. It's a sonship, a firstborn inheritance kind of sonship, a prince inheriting the throne from the king kind of sonship. So for me, I'm not the firstborn son in my family, but I still have rights as a firstborn son through Christ. For you, if you're a daughter, if you're a secondborn son, whoever you are, as sinners and rebels, Jesus, by grace, is giving us this inheritance and this sonship. So we're not just trusting in his sacrifice for sin, but we're also trusting in his perfection, his righteousness. So if you trust Jesus, when God looks at you, he's pleased with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he loves you? The more you believe that, the more it's going to change your behavior. The more it's going to make you weird, right? <laughs> it's going to make you walk it out in, in weird ways. You're actually going to love and give and serve to others. And then he says, rise, let us go from here. Now, this is a little rabbit trail. It's not super important, but I just want to throw this out. Um, commentators, academic people, they get all freaked out about little weird things like this, okay? Because he says, rise, let us go from here. And then he preaches for like three more chapters. So what's that about? Um, some people think he says, rise, let's go from here, and they're walking through the streets, and he keeps preaching while they're walking, right? That's one answer. Another answer is he just does what all church people do, right? Like he says, hey, let's go. It's time to go, and then he talks for two more hours. Like that's, <laughs> I don't know why that would be so weird for us, because that's just a thing Christian people have always done. So anyway, I just share that to say, you know what? We don't have to get super freaked out about these little minor details. There are reasonable explanations, um, but the main point is the spirit of peace that he's giving to us. And I think the way we receive that peace is through what we call prayer. We call it prayer 
Um, that's calling out to God in the midst of our turmoil. There's a parallel passage to this section in Philippians where it says, don't be anxious about anything or don't continue to worry. Don't stay in your worry. Don't, like John 14 says, don't stay in your trouble. But by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, express your requests to God. Call out to God, right? So when you're freaking out, pray. That's the application here, right? That's the life of the adopted child of God. You say, Daddy, help me to cry out to him. When my kids were little, they didn't need to be trained to cry, right? But sadly, we forget that as Christians. We, we have to relearn it. Okay, I, I can cry out to God. And so as Christians, we, we pray. Do you have personal prayer habits? Do you, do you set aside time to cry out to God? This is a spiritual discipline because we so easily forget that we need his supernatural peace, that we need his spirit, that we need his help. We start to think we can do it on our own. Or we start to think the ways we numb ourselves are going to suffice instead of coming back to him. So this is a spiritual discipline. Christians throughout the centuries have said, you know, it's a good idea to just set aside time to do this because I'll forget otherwise. In the moment, I'll forget and I'll try to fix myself instead of calling out to him. Do you have habits of prayer? One of our corporate habits as a people is, is coming together in worship. Um, public worship, gathered worship is kind of corporate prayer. It's a corporate calling out to God. When we sing together, Singing is just pretty united praying. Did you know that? It's just praying w- with, with pretty notes and stuff. <laughs> it makes it more unified, and we enjoy doing that together. And so what we're doing is we're together as a group saying, Jesus, I need you. We're calling out to him. We're crying out to him in our need and our anxiousness and receiving his peace through the gospel. A- and when you do that, you're acknowledging, Jesus, I need you. And you're also reminding your brothers and sisters that they need him as well, because we all forget, right? So that's the beauty of the corporateness of gathering in groups as Christians. This is fading culturally, so I just kind of want to make the case for this is a good thing, because we all forget. So not only do you need to step into that, and I need to step into it as individuals that need God, but we need to remind our friends. As we do it as a group, we're saying, we all need this. And that's why the beauty of corporate worship is really, it's not a gathering to say, hey, I've got another day on the attendance chart that I can mark off, right? God, aren't you impressed with me? Because that's slipping back into obeying to get God to bless us. Instead, it's coming saying, Jesus, I need you. It's corporate neediness, right? And this is so misunderstood. Christians are seen often as a gathering of people who think they've got all their stuff together when we're really a gathering of people crying out like a bunch of babies, like, God, I need you, (laughs) right? Help me, help me, I need you. As we do that, he gives us a supernatural peace He equips us, he sends us, and we can then serve and love and share that grace with others. So what are your corporate habits? This is fading in our culture. I mean, in one way, it's good, right? In a way, it's good that it's less cool to go to church, right? Like more and more, I don't know if you know this, but like you're kind of a weird, messed up person by going to church at all. Like culturally, more and more, our church thinks it's a negative or our culture thinks it's a negative thing to go to church. So I think that actually helps us elevate the reality of, I'm not just doing it to be seen. I'm not just doing it because of cultural expectations. I'm doing it because I'm desperate. I'm desperate for God. And I would plead with you to make that your reason for gathering with other believers. That you're desperate, and on the days when you feel full, 
and provided for by God, you're helping meet your brothers and sisters' needs as well, helping them come to find their needs satisfied in Jesus. Now in Philippians, it talks about this coming to him in our anxiousness. It also talks about rejoicing. And that's both sides of it, right? When we worship and when we pray, some of that is, God, I need you. And some of that is, God, you're awesome. And both sides of those are muscles we need to exercise in our prayer and in our worship. Setting aside time to say, God, I need you. And God, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness. So those are ways that we work this out in real life. I want to just wrap up with a little story about being a dad. Um, I had a lot of hurt in my own childhood, and one of my joys is, is getting to be a dad, right? And getting to give some love that I didn't always receive. I, I had good days and bad as a child where sometimes I received that love, sometimes I didn't. But as a father, I loved the opportunity to give. But I just want to encourage you guys, if you're new dads or wanting to be a dad or thinking about adoption or foster care, I just want to encourage you that it is actually really, really hard work, right? It's not just like, I'm doing a holy thing, so it's going to be magically easy. It's it's hard work, right? Um, and I can remember this one time when my son was about one and he was sick a lot at night and he would just scream and howl. We didn't understand yet at the time. He had some food allergies and some problems that were making his tummy upset. And it was just so hard for him to sleep. And when he would scream at night, we would pick him up and rock him and just my presence with him would, would make everything okay. And it was so amazing. Like I'd rock him and he'd calm down. He'd, he'd kind of melt and relax and we had this electric swing, and so I'd turn on the electric swing and get it going, you know, and I'm rocking him, and I'm singing to him, and he's finally asleep, and so then I put him in the swing, right, and I'm kind of like moving with the swing to make sure he doesn't wake up, and then we put the cover back on, and it clicks, and I let go, and I'm not touching him anymore, and he's like, ah, and he wakes back up and starts screaming again because he just wants me to hold him, right? It's not, it's not good enough to just be in the swing. What I want to encourage you with is that you're going to have those moments where you're just crying out for the Lord and Jesus is saying, I haven't left you. I am with you. I'm holding you. I'm walking with you. You can trust me. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you do love us. Thank you that you've given yourself to us in Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would continue to work um, these greater works you described in, in John 5, the greater work of resurrection from the dead. Will you do that miracle in our midst? Um, even this week, as we start these impact clubs, Lord, we pray that people would find life and hope in you. And Father, would you continue to do that, that other incredible, miraculous, supernatural spirit work of turning us into people that love you and trust you and obey you and walk with you. God, we pray that you would be seen in our midst as we trust your goodness. Thank you that you give your spirit to us. Thank you that you are present with us in the gospel. We praise you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.